Psalm 125 is on page 441. Psalm 125. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forevermore. The scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous. For then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, to those who are upright in heart. But those who turn to crooked ways, the Lord will banish with the evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. Hi, everyone. Next up, Colossians 1, 15 to 29, on page 833. I'm sure you can all see that. Okay. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him, for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Let's pray together. Father, how good it is just to take time to sit and to... Sit under the word and to hear you speak to us. Father, whether we've come burdened or whether we've come uh, with joy in our hearts, Lord, I pray that you would speak to each one of us. Would you give strength to those of us who are weary? Uh, Would you humble those of us who are proud? 
And would we leave here more in love with Jesus? In his name, amen. Let me share a few stories about people at this church. Some are here in this room tonight. I won't mention names. Some are other services. There's a guy who I know quite well. And when I think of this guy, oh, this is, I'm going to just go through the... When I think of this guy, the first word that comes to my mind is, I think, is satisfied. He's totally satisfied in Jesus. He's not looking for the perfect job or the perfect marriage or the perfect house. He's just totally content with Jesus. You know, we've just sung that the cross is enough. I think his, his life motto would be, Jesus is enough. He's all I need. And I love spending time with him because he reminds me that Jesus really is enough. There's another lady at this church, and uh, I guess she's in constant pain. Constant pain. You can't imagine the kind of pain that she's in. And yet this lady, she oozes... I suppose joy, joy in Jesus. In another verse, when, when Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. I think she's, sort of, she's a walking advertisement for that verse. Totally secure and joyful in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love spending time with her as well. There's another lady who, uh, I would say she was secure. You know, she, she's facing a serious life-threatening illness, but, but for her, because her hope is in heaven, she has this, this great confidence. It's not, it's not an arrogance, it's a confidence that she's going to see Jesus face to face. And I love spending time with her as well. There's another guy who's come to this church from a different church, and I've watched over the last three years, he's just become, I guess, more discerning. He doesn't just want uh, top tips on how to live a happy life. He just longs to hear the truth. He wants to learn about Jesus. And it's been so good just to see him grow in his, his knowledge and love of Jesus. And I love those people. I love spending time with them because they're just so focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. They're satisfied with Jesus and they're secure in Jesus and they have joy in Jesus and they're discerning about Jesus. I guess the observation is this, that, that that satisfaction and that security in Jesus, it has nothing to do with how long these people have been Christians. It has nothing to do with how often they come to church or how much they serve. And it's got everything to do with their attitude towards the Lord Jesus Christ. The more they love Jesus the more satisfied they are. The more they love Jesus, the more secure they are. The more they love Jesus, the more joyful they are. It's that simple maths. That more Jesus, more satisfied. More Jesus, more joy. The more they, they, they plumb the depths of Jesus' majesty and his glory and his sufficiency, you just see these discerning, joyful, satisfied, secure Christians. And, of course, the opposite is also true. It's what I call Christless Christianity. 
people who are Christians, they are Christians, they are saved. And, and they get that Jesus died on the cross for them, and, and they get that on that cross Jesus took the punishment that they deserve. They get all of that. But it's almost like this primary school, uh, elementary understanding of Jesus. That, that's where they've left him. Just on the cross, paying for their sins. And they've never really plumbed the depth of who Jesus really is. And what I see in those kind of people is this, is this dissatisfaction that, that they are still longing for the things of this world and this, this lack of real joy or, or their joy that's dependent on their circumstances. So when life is good, they're joyful, but when life is bad, they're not. Because they have this such a shallow view of Jesus. And my aim tonight, I've got one aim tonight, is to, to put Christ back at the center of your life. I want to expand your understanding of Jesus, to, to leave here just, just blown away by how big Jesus really is, how glorious he is. I want you to plumb the depths of the riches of Christ so that it, it impacts you, not, not just here, but emotionally, so you're more in love with Jesus and you're satisfied and you're secure and you're joyful. And there's no better passage than Colossians chapter 1. This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church that he did not find. He'd never met these people. And we, we reached the, the, the purple passage tonight. Just before I read it again, please remember this was written about 30 years after the crucifixion. And these people had, had seen the human Lord Jesus Christ. And they seen him crucified. And he can, he can still speak of Jesus like this. It's extraordinary. Let me read it. Verse 15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. Jesus, for by Jesus all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Jesus and for Jesus. Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus all things hold together. And Jesus is the head of the body, the church, and Jesus is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything Jesus might have this supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. Now, isn't that breathtaking? How big is your Jesus? If I said to you, Jesus is, how big is your Jesus? What's your understanding of him? Is it still that primary school understanding of who Jesus is? I've got two points tonight. Here's the first one. The supremacy of Christ, or just Christ supreme. Paul is saying Jesus is supreme. He is Lord. Let's start with that mind-blowing statement in verse 15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. I could spend a whole sermon on that. I mean, it's, 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 Jesus is not an image of God. He's not a, not a copy of God. He's not a duplicate of God. He's not like us, made in the image of God. Look what he says, verse 15. He is the image. What he's saying is that the Lord Jesus Christ makes the invisible God visible. He makes the unknowable God knowable. 
you know, that's that um, famous story of the, I don't, I don't know whether it's true or not, of this Sunday school kid who's doing a drawing and his teacher says, what are you drawing? And he says, oh, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the Sunday school teacher says, oh, oh don't be silly. No one knows what God looks like. And he says, well, they do now, don't they? <laughs> it's a silly example, but, but that's really true. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. That's what Jesus said himself. He said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, John 14. As Jesus walked on earth, he, he said to the people, if you want to see God the Father, just look at me. Hebrews chapter 1 says the, the Son is the exact radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Or the message translation translates verse 15 like this. He says, we look at this God, Jesus, and we see the God who can't be seen. There's a story of a preacher in the UK and he's preaching about Jesus and preaching how he, beca he became flesh so that God could be made known. And a man comes up to him at the end and says, now you evangelicals, you're always talking about uh, knowing God. He said, I'm a Christian. I don't want to know God. I want God to be a mystery. And the preacher turned to him and said, well, God hasn't allowed for that because God has stepped into the world. He has not allowed himself to be a mystery. He's made himself known. And that's what this verse is saying, that, that Jesus is the image of God. Uh, you can see God's wisdom, God's glory, God's power, God's compassion, God's anger, God's beauty, all in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that mind-blowing? He's Lord of creation, because he was before creation. That's what verse 17 says. He, Jesus, is before all things. Uh, what Paul is saying there is that you can never say there's a time when Jesus did not exist. You can zoom back beyond his birth and beyond uh, creation. Before creation, Jesus was there. That is mind-blowing that I can never say there's a moment when Jesus was not there. So please don't believe that lie that he's just a created being and please don't limit your Jesus to the baby at Bethlehem. He's before all things. And that's because he was there at creation. He's actually the agent of creation. Verse 16. I remember when I first heard this, it was about five years after I became a believer. I just couldn't get my head around it. Verse 16, for by Jesus, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Jesus. Isn't that extraordinary? At the beginning of the world, when God said, let there be light, his agent of creation was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. But the focus on that verse of verse 16 is actually the word all. For by Jesus all things were created. And he talks about things above and things below and things visible and things invisible. He's trying to say there is nothing in this world that has not been created by the Lord Jesus Christ. For the most important man to, to the smallest mouse. From the, from the biggest galaxy to the most elementary particle. The Lord Jesus Christ created all of that. If you want this to really impact you, just go outside tonight. 
uh, just choose a spot and just look. Why are we so busy? Why don't we just stop and look? Look at the water. Look at the sun. Look at the trees and look at the stars. You know, in the deepest, darkest outback on the most clearest night, you could, with the naked eye, see about two and a half thousand stars, which is about naught point, naught, 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 naught percent of all there is to see in the galaxy. And you're supposed to say, my Lord Jesus made all of that. And then you bring it down to yourself and you say, and he also made me. So I'm not just a random mix of chemicals. I'm a unique individual made by my Lord Jesus Christ. He's my creator. He's before creation. He's the agent of creation. He's the goal of creation in verse 16. Look at the end of verse 16. All things were created by Jesus and, and for Jesus. That's really what the, the phrase in verse 15 means, a firstborn over all creation. He's not talking about the first one created. It's about status, that he's ruling over the creation. He's the heir of the creation. It belongs to Jesus. God created the world for Jesus. Now, how does that change you? Isn't that humbling? God didn't make this world for you. This world does not revolve around you. This life is not about your plans and your glory. Creation exists for Jesus, so everything that we do should be done for Jesus. More than that, Jesus holds all things together. He's sustaining this world, verse 17. In Jesus, all things hold together. And what Paul is saying there is that every minute of every day, of every second of every hour, the reason that, that you breathe and the reason that this world keeps spinning at the right speed and the right angle is because the Lord Jesus Christ is holding this world in his hands. Now, for me, that's a huge comfort. <laughs> you know, if God, if Jesus can, can keep the, the, the sun shining and the stars shining, then he can hold my life in his hand. If he's big enough to do that, he's able to keep me. See, that's Jesus. He's supreme. He's Lord. He's the agent of creation, the goal of creation, the sustainer of creation. But it's not just the creation. He's actually head of the church. Look at verse 18. He's Lord of the new creation, Verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church. <laughs> Don't you find that verse a bit of a, a bit of a come down, a bit of a let down? Uh, Paul, what, what are you on about? Like you just told me that, that Jesus created the whole world and now you're telling me he's head of the church, so what? It would be like me, be like me listing all my qualifications, uh, B-A, M-A, D for whatever it is, and then say, I've also got a certificate in pottery, you're thinking, how do, what does it matter that Jesus is head of the church? And the problem is that when we read that word church, we just think little local religious gathering. But what Paul is saying is that the Lord Jesus Christ is supreme. He is Lord over the new creation, 
over all of God's redeemed people, all of God's chosen people. Not just this church, but every church, every gathering of people, he's head of that. Because, verse 18, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. He was the first one to defeat the grave. He is the first one who's got that that risen life. And if you're connected with Jesus, you have that life as well. I love this phrase. Someone said, the tomb was the womb from which Jesus emerged victorious. The tomb was the womb from which Jesus emerged victorious, ahead of this new church, this new creation. And that changes everything, doesn't it? It means that Jesus can grow a church or cause it to decline. If he's the head of this gathering, it's not about you, it's not about me. Everything is about Jesus. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. He's, he's supreme. He is Lord. How are you going? How's your, your view of Jesus? Is he big enough for you yet? Let's move from his supremacy to his sufficiency. Christ is sufficient. We move from creation to salvation because it's, it's not just about who Jesus is, but it's about what he's done for you. Look at verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things. God was pleased. It was God's idea to make the person of Jesus Christ his permanent dwelling place for all his divine fullness. I think it was Gandhi who said that Jesus was just a great man but he couldn't accept there's a solitary throne with Jesus on it. But that's not what verse 19 says. All of the fullness of God dwelt in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to verse 20. Through Jesus he reconciled to himself all things. That word reconcile is a relational word, isn't it? You want to know that relational breakdown is painful, don't you? You know, when a, a husband and a, and a wife have a relational breakdown, that is so painful. Or the friend who is suddenly difficult and distant. Or those two countries who are fighting. But whether it's a marriage or a friendship or, or a war, what we need is reconciliation. And that word reconciliation is not just about saying sorry. It's not just about uh, acknowledging something wrong and then just moving on. It's saying, I've destroyed all the barriers, I've dealt with the hurt, I've offered forgiveness, and we're now going to live as if it never happened. Total forgiveness, no grudges, no hurts. And you know how costly that is for a human relationship, don't you? What about God? Look at it again, verse 30. Through Jesus, God reconciled himself all things. All things, earth, heaven, by making peace through his blood on the cross. See what, what, what it cost God to bring reconciliation, to make peace? The blood of his son. That image of the invisible God who took on flesh and climbed that lonely hill and shed his blood. It's costly. 
And it's personal, isn't it? I, I love that verse 20 starts big. All things were reconciled. And he kind of says in verse 21, okay, what about you? I'm not just talking about the world out there. I'm not talking about the people out there. I'm talking about you. Verse 21 wants you. You Colossians, you Kyrbillians, were alienated from God. We were apart from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. It's funny, I, I didn't grow up as a Christian. I never went to church. I became a believer when I was 20. I remember being told that I was alienated from God or distant from God, and I had no problem accepting that because I'd had 20 years of my life living without God. But I do fear in some ways for people who have just grown up in the church. And that concept of being alienated from God is saying, oh, no, no, I'm not. I've been to church every week of my life. But until you've recognized that you personally that you've ignored God and you disobey God and he hasn't been uh, supreme in your life, you'll never understand reconciliation. There's a guy who's an incredible evangelist. He's just a normal bloke who just seems to have these most amazing conversations. Things just happen to him. <laughs> he was uh, chatting to an, a, a, another bloke he met and talking about Jesus, and he said, oh, I don't need Jesus, I'm just a, a good bloke. And the evangelist said, um, but the first commandment is love God with all your whole being. Have you kept that one? He said, oh, no, probably not. He said, oh, the second one is, is love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> I know I haven't kept that one. Have you kept that one? No. He said, well, you've just broken the two greatest commandments. He said, oh, but don't worry about it. We're all in the same boat. That's why we need Jesus. So you were alienated, and so was I. But, verse 22, a big but. But now, God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body, through death, through the cross, through the sacrifice of his son, you couldn't do it, but God did it for you. As he hung on that cross, as his physical body was punished for your sins, what's the result? You're presented holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Now that is mind-blowing. That me and you, in God's eyes, in God's sight, are perfect and holy and pure and nothing, no accusation can stick against us because we're in Jesus and that's how God sees us. Now, as I look out to you tonight, I, I, I see lots of people who, who know this truth. They know that intellectually that, that Jesus is Lord of their reconciliation. We know that Jesus brought peace. We know that he brought us forgiveness. And we've just sung, you know, the cross is enough. So here's my question. Why do we think, why do we act as though we've got to do anything else? As though Christ wasn't sufficient. As though his death on the cross was not sufficient to, to reconcile all people. Christ is totally sufficient. The cross really was enough. So please leave here with this massive view of Jesus. Lord 
and supreme in creation and new creation, Lord of reconciliation, and two things to take away. Number one, just stick with Jesus. Don't shift away from Jesus. If you want to be more satisfied and more secure and more joyful, just stick with Jesus. Don't become bored of Jesus. Don't start to think you know everything about Jesus. Don't start to think you can add anything to Jesus. Just stick with Jesus. That's what Paul says in verse 23. There's an if there. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out, not drifting away from the gospel, not drifting away from Jesus. He's not trying to undermine your assurance. He's not saying, you know, perhaps you're going to drift. He's saying, if you're trusting Jesus today, just don't give up on him. Wake up tomorrow and say, thank you, Jesus. Wake up the next day, thank you, Jesus, and stick with Jesus. Of course, the only way you're going to do that is to, to bathe yourself in Jesus more and more. It just create opportunities to, to get to know Jesus better. Read less self-help books and more about Jesus. Spend less time watching the Olympics the next two weeks. <laughs> and just spend time in one of the Gospels, just getting to know Jesus. It was pretty good this morning, though, wasn't it? <laughs> Stick with Jesus. If you continue your faith, don't drift. Just keep on plumbing the depths of how glorious Jesus is. Stick with Jesus, and then my second application point is proclaim Jesus. I don't know whether you've got an aim in life. If you, pour, if you ask Paul that question, what's your, what's your one aim in life? I reckon verses 28 and 29 is probably his mission statement, his aim statement for life. Of course he's a preacher, of course he's a pastor, of course he's a church planter, but his heart should be the same as each one of us. We proclaim Jesus, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we, we may present everyone perfect in Christ. And to this end I labor, struggling with all his energy which so powerfully works in me. Uh, the, the, the repeated word that's easy to miss there is the word everyone. Let me read the original. We proclaim Jesus, admonishing everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. As Paul goes through life, he says, everybody I meet, everybody I meet, I long to see presented perfect in Christ. So the person who's not yet a believer, they need to hear the gospel, hear about reconciliation and forgiveness, and hear about Jesus. And the person who's a believer, what do they need to hear? More about Jesus. You may, you may have heard a guy called uh, John Stott. He was an English preacher. He was on the, on the radio in a, in a debate uh, with a rabbi. And the rabbi said something like, uh, we're really happy for our faith to be a minority faith. faith. Uh, and John Stott, quick as a flash, said, he didn't say we wanted to be a majority faith. He says, uh, no, our faith is not a, a minority faith. It's a, it's a missionary faith. And that's a Christian faith, isn't it? That we want to present everyone perfect in Christ. On that last day, you want your loved ones standing there who do not yet know Jesus. And you want the people sitting next to you right now who do know Jesus standing there perfect on that last day. And the way to do that is what? Keep talking about Jesus. 
admonishing people and teaching people with all the wisdom that comes from the Word of God. That's got to be our life's goal, not to do a bit of good works, not to make this world a better place, not just to form friendships, but to present people perfect on that last day. My Christian friends, this church family, my wife, my boys, they wanted to keep growing in Jesus, and my triathlon mates and my, my mum and my family, I want to come to know Jesus. And that's not a walk in the park, is it? And that's why he ends with verse 29. To this end, I labor, I toil. But I struggle with God's energy by his Holy Spirit. He's the one who empowers us and equips us just to keep on proclaiming Christ. I do hope that you're a Christian here tonight who is satisfied and secure and joyful in Jesus. And my, my plea and my prayer is that you would just plumb the depth of Christ. He is supreme, Lord of creation, Lord of the church. He is sufficient. He's done enough. He's done everything. The cross really was enough. So stick with him and keep proclaiming him. Let me pray. Our Father, we... Our minds can't quite comprehend just how glorious and big Jesus is. Forgive us for times, Lord, where we have just had such a shallow view of Christ. Please help us, Spirit, to to understand and to to know and to feel just how glorious Jesus is. Thank you that this world exists for him. Thank you that This world exists so that we can proclaim him. Please help each person here to either to know Jesus for the first time. Lord, if there are people here tonight who who do not yet know Jesus, who do not know that forgiveness and that peace that comes through Christ, please open their eyes. And for those of us who do, Lord, I, I pray you'd help us just to stick with him. In Jesus' name, amen.